We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 357. Our guest today provides a safe haven for wild mustangs and burros. She owns Skydog Ranch, which is a forever home for wild mustangs and burros who have ended up in horrible and dangerous situations at kill pens, at auctions, or in unloving homes where they've often been starved and neglected. Skydog's mission is to provide a safe landing for horses coming from horrible situations, stop horse consumption in other countries, and to encourage people to better understand what is happening with the Bureau of Land Management's roundup of wild mustangs. Their biggest, most important part of Skydog Sanctuary is to shine a spotlight on all of these issues and make mustangs and burros a talking point across the U.S., So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Claire Staples. Hi, Claire. Hi. Thank you so much for coming on. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Well, I am so excited to hear about Skydog Ranch, but first tell me, how did you get started in the horse world? I don't know when I got started in the (laughs) world. I think horses were my world from um, such an early age. It's kind of ridiculous. I grew up in England, but, um, and I loved horses right from the beginning. And I grew up at a time when there were so many shows on TV that had horses on them and that completely captivated me. But my, my grand, I lived in England, but my grandparents lived in another little country called Wales in great, in the UK. Mm -hmm. And, used to drive to see my grandparents and they lived near this place called the Brecon Beacons where there were wild horses on the hill and I would remember always like driving to school or driving anywhere if I saw a horse in a field or I'd look in the back of horse trailers to see if I could see a horse and when we would get to Wales all I wanted to do was climb the mountains and try and see these wild horses and it was just this overwhelming passion from such an early age and it was my happy place and as soon as I was old enough I would have my mom drop me off at a little local riding stables and I would just help muck and feed and groom and I would literally smell the saddles and everything Mm. about it was just um I don't know why it was such a passion in my heart I think a lot of little girls I know when I share about it on social media a lot of people share the same experiences that they just loved horses. They, I carried boy horses around with me everywhere. It, it just, I don't know. It was my happy place and going to the barn was my happy place and just being around them. And so it's been in my heart and my life all through a crazy life that I led really for the first 50 years. And they were in and out of my life in so many different ways. And it was where I would always go back to to center myself. I feel like horses saved my life so many times when mm-hmm. I was dark places, I would somehow find my way back to being around horses and it would just completely put me back on the right path. So I feel like I owe them an enormous debt of gratitude because I feel they've healed me and helped me and taught me. And so, you know, 
I'm not in the horse world in a formal way, but I, I guess now with the sanctuary and being in rescue, I am. And that's been really the last 10 years of my life. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and you know, you mentioned having a similar, you know, upbringing as many horse people do, you know, having that, that passion and obsession with horses. And I also yeah. feel like a very common um, theme is that there's an aspect of horses that touch and save all of our lives in a way. And so I think that's really cool that that's something that you've experienced time and time again. Tell me how Sky Dog Sanctuary even started. Well, I got to this sort of strange, it felt like a fork in the road when I turned 50. I really felt like the first half of my life had been, I guess I'd been like, trying to chase happiness in all the places as advertised, like this will make you happy and this will make you happy. And then sort of achieving all those things and, you know, people, places and things and thinking those things are going to fill that hole in my soul. It just never worked and the happiness was not sustainable. And so when I turned 50, I started getting more involved in the world of rescue and, um, I, I, I met my husband and it could have sort of brought us together because I already had five horses of my own and a couple of donkeys. And um, when we moved in together, I sort of started seeing a lot more about rescue of horses and particularly Mustangs that had kind of become my passion. And um, so we together started helping to rescue these horses and helping the rescues that were helping them. But then they would somehow end up in bad places. And I kind of started to say to my husband, well, we're going to need a bigger ranch because there's so many of these wild horses in need. And it makes me, I don't know, it was just such an unbelievable happiness to rescue a horse that was, you know, where the light has almost gone out in their eyes and they're in a terrible physical state and then seeing them come back to life and health and that, that was just such an extraordinary gift to me that never dimmed really. It was kind of like not a flash in the pan happiness. It was just this day in and day out feeling like I was being of service and my life had meaning and purpose. And it was really the horses that gave me that and still do. And I never in a million years, you know, n- nine years ago knew that it was going to turn into this enormous thing that it has. And I thought I would just save a few horses and call it good and, and then it's just really, you know, and and then a sky dog has gone along and especially in the pandemic, you know, we were saving horses, but then, sorry, there were also so many people that were following us that kept telling us how extraordinarily healing it was. You know, people were sitting at home watching the news and feeling fear and and um, confusion, but they could come and, and watch the videos of the horses and be in nature and see these horses coming back to life. And I think it just helped so many other people. So then we sort of, our social media became a really important thing because it was helping people. You know, we'd have emails from teachers that were showing it to their students, you know, or in in um, assisted livings and they would all sit there and watch the videos. And I felt like, wow, these horses are, touching people's lives in mm-hmm. such a way through the power of social media. So that became a huge thing. And I realized, you know, that I had to kind of take that on as well as a responsibility. And 
And we actually rescued more horses during the pandemic than we ever had. And um, it was kind of the one thing that didn't shut down, you know, yeah. rounds and being cruel to horses. And it seemed like a lot more were in need. So I guess that's how I generally got into it, you know, and, and got our 501c3 and just built our following and just relentlessly. I, when I get passionate about something, I really want to do it the best that I can and just constantly posting and telling the stories, just telling the stories over and over again, which I felt was so much more powerful than just saying, you know, a hundred thousand horses shipped to slaughter across mm -hmm. our borders. Or it's like a very dry thing that you can't even contemplate. But then when you meet this horse and you see what she's gone through and then see her coming back to health, you really, I think the emotional connection inspires people to take an action and want more for these horses and the way they're being treated. And so it's grown into this huge thing now our social media has and, and the amount of horses we now have and donkeys and mules. And we now have baby zebras that we rescued out of the slaughter pipeline. So it's kind of multiplied a million times than I more than I thought it ever would. A Skydog Sanctuary obviously tackles several issues that are negatively impacting horses. What would you say is, you know, maybe the primary issues you are working to address? I guess one of the biggest um, issues for us is, is the entire, you know, there's the primary issue of the wild horses that are being rounded up at such an extraordinary rate that there's absolutely no way to treat these horses well or kindly or you know, possibly um, take care of any of their needs, but then how many of them now are ending up in the slaughter pipeline and in kill pens and um, shipping to slaughter just because of the BLM's AIP program, which they have now an adoption incentive program where they will give people $1,000 to take away a wild unhandled horse, which has kind of led to a lot of um, bad actors taking a lot of BLM horses and, you know, they can take $20,000, $30,000 of taxpayer money, keep the horse for a while and then take it to a sale barn and get meat money for them. But I think it's also, you know, in both cases, from the wild horses that are rounded up being in BLM holding pens, I think that is an abusive and cruel system for these wild horses to be locked up for the rest of their lives, having committed no crime other than being a horse on public lands. But then there's also the way that these horses are treated during the process of going to a sale barn where someone takes them and they run through a loose sale and they end up in a kill pen. It's just the horrors um, that those horses experience as a sentient being, you know, getting horribly sick, you know, fighting for food, losing weight, you know, just being bitten and kicked by other horses who are all equally as scared and then being shipped to slaughter, you know, over a three or four day journey where they have no food, no water. And these are, you know, injured or unhealthy horses. And I think that there is such a mindset that these horses are going to die anyway, that they don't really need any care. But I mean, it's just horrifying to see the condition that these horses come out of these places in and, it's just not anything we should be tolerating in a in a civilized society, knowing how incredibly, you know, deep feeling these horses are and the emotional intelligence they have for kind of understanding, you know, that they've been left in this place 
often without the humans that they may be served for most of their lives and, and loved. And then suddenly they're in a place and they're scared and confused and sick and injured. And it's just, I, I think the whole mindset of thinking of a horse as a tool that is just there to serve us for a purpose. And, and you know, that if that horse gets injured or sick or old, particularly is just cast aside, you know, and traded in for a younger horse that serves that person better, you know, without really, I tried to think of these horses, you know, like so many people do, you know, they'll think of them as a member of their family and in their later years, will give them that extra care and love that they need. And, um, it's why we love taking in seniors and giving them that, you know, after they've been through all the trauma they have. So I think those are the real main issues that I try and draw attention to. And obviously every time we pull a horse out the slaughter pipeline or we go and pick up a horse from the BLM and a couple of times recently, we've rescued horses from the BLM corrals that had just such a horrifying backstory about the way they were rounded up and roped and dragged and collapsed and chased by a helicopter until they were you know exhausted and wow. couldn't even run anymore this horse honor that we just took it it draws such awareness to the brutality of roundups that often goes unseen and so i i think you know because of our social media following we can shine a really bright light on these abuses and that's what we do and i think it's just growing a, a the number of people that are outraged by both things, by the slaughter pipeline and the abuse of our wild horses, you know, which the taxpayer is paying for, not willingly. I don't think that we would just all be giving horses to brutalize and terrorize wild horses, you know, and then lock them up for the rest of their lives or, or shoot them in the head for the tiniest, you know, defects where they deem them unadoptable. So, you know, we try and shine a light on all of those different things, hopefully. Yeah. About three years ago, I drew my first sketch of the ponytail hairnet. This all stemmed from having years and years of wearing hairnets. Also, having long hair, not like that matters, but I often would wear my hair down. I have a very big head. I have the largest women's Sam shoot helmet and a ton of hair. So with all that being said, with a lot of photography and modeling with my equestrian style, I just like noticed a few things that just like didn't quite seem right when it came to the current line of hairnets in the market. I love, I really love wearing hairnets. I think it really helps an overall like classic and polished look. But whenever I wore my hair down, I noticed the inevitable blob of hairnet, the extra hairnet that just flops around in your ponytail. And I would try to tuck it in my hair tie, I would try to braid it into my braid, and it just was never quite right. So I decided to take matters into my own hands, and it started a very long journey of getting a design patent and creating a brand new product. And that is my new brand, Ellsworth. Ellsworth is an equestrian accessory brand, and my very first product is the ponytail hairnet. We just launched, and I have been absolutely absolutely overwhelmed with the response. You guys love it and I am so happy because I love it too. What makes it so different is it is not only like softer and durable and I really love the six colors we came out with, but it has 
the patent pending elastic lined hole at the back of your head. So basically it completely takes away the need for another hair tie. I don't know about you, but I was always that girl growing up, eh, let's be honest, still today, that does not have a hair tie around her wrist and she is going around tack trunks asking her barn friends for an extra hair tie. Well, with this design, you don't even need a hair tie if you don't want to because the elastic lined hole at the back of the hairnet acts as your hair tie. But because of this design, what it really does is remove the excess hairnet that flops around in your ponytail. So now you can wear a hairnet and wear your hair down or up. It absolutely works if you want to wear your hair up. But either way, you do not have to worry about the excess hairnet flopping around in your ponytail. So if you would like to take a look at the ponytail hairnets, they come in a pack of two for $16.99 and they're available on my website. My website is Ellsworth Official. That's E-L-L-S-W-O-R-T-H official.com. Um, what is the, is there kind of like a, a set process of how horses and burrows come to you at Skydog? Like, how do you get them out of, you know, maybe their bad situations and then onto your ranch? So there's, we, we try and save horses or rescue horses from all kinds of different situations that we can then kind of raise awareness for and hopefully help other animals in that same predicament. So we will take special needs horses from the BLM or seniors, horses that they deem unadoptable that would be slated for euthanasia. We like to take them to basically show people that, you know, being blind in one eye or being sway back or having a umbilical hernia is not, or club footed is not a death sentence and that these horses can live a quality, wonderful life you know even with those supposed disabilities and they don't have to be euthanized and then so we'll take them and we do work with the BLM to take special needs and seniors and then we also reunite families which is one of the most popular and probably most well-known thing we do even though it's a small percentage of the horses that we take because it's very difficult to find members of a family we obviously have to have photographs of them in the wild or photographs of them being rounded up together to actually piece back, piece together back that family. And then I think every single day I'm sent pictures of Mustangs and kill pens. And as well as that, we get hundreds of emails of um, owner relinquishments or trainer relinquishments from people that have adopted a Mustang that they've had in training that is too wild or dangerous or, you know, not can't adjust to a domestic life. And we love to take those horses because obviously if a person has put a lot of money into a horse's training or spent, you know, a lot of time trying to do right by that horse and, you know, the end result has been that that horse literally goes back to step one every single day and does want nothing to do with people. Obviously sanctuary is what primarily we're here for, for those horses, but it's become such an enormous thing with so many wild horses needing help it's a it's a huge kind of you know I wish I could take them all but I also have a huge responsibility mm -hmm. for the care and well-being of the horses we've already taken and we can't overstretch our staff and you know even recently we just took a horse from the BLM who came to us it, it was a kind of a, a weird situation but we brought him and he has pneumonia and he had he's in kidney failure and 
Like we are so hands-on because obviously you can't take a wild horse to the vet and go, oh, can you put this horse on an IV or treat his pneumonia? It all has to be done in the shoot. And this horse has just responded in such an extraordinary way for a horse that the BLM deemed too wild, untrainable and too hot to ever be adopted. You know, we have him in the shoot for three hours, three times a day with an IV in him flooding his kidney with um, fluids and as well as treating his pneumonia and doing ultrasounds on his lungs. And this horse has just stood literally better than a domestic horse would. And I really feel these wild horses have such an incredible intelligence that Mm -hmm. I think he totally understands we're trying to help him. And he's just been, you know, like today I put up a video of, of one of the equine staff, like rubbing his face. And I mean, you just would not expect a straight out of the wild 16 year old old band stallion to to react that way to human touch and kindness and and they do respond to it i think and horses so respond to the energy that they receive from the person that they're you know faced with and i think if if they can feel your intention is good and that your energy is is caring and loving then they give that back you know and it's extraordinary to see that again and again. Yeah, that's so cool. I know a big part of Skydog Ranch is keeping families and herds together. For someone listening who maybe doesn't know a lot about the structure of a herd, tell me a little bit about a horse's herd and family structure. Originally understand through maybe watching a lot of these horse herds out in the wild and a family band in particular, you know, the, the absolute you know, beauty of the social structure of these horses where, you know, their stallion is basically his entire job is to kind of protect and take care of his family. And then the mares are the most incredible, you know, again, with their emotional intelligence, but they're the ones that kind of, they'll lead the horses to water or out of danger. And they're sort of the matriarchs of the family. And then the love that these you know, offspring are brought up with. And it very much mirrors the family structure of humans and we're animals too. And it's just, I think it's such such human arrogance to think we're the only species that would care about our children or our loved ones. And, you know, to think that horses have no capacity to do that. I think when you see them behaving as they naturally would in the wild and the bonds that they make, which are so deep and so powerful and so palpable when you see them reunited um, at our sanctuary, it's never failed to kind of just reconfirm and reconfirm. Like this isn't something I'm not anthropomorphizing these horses and giving them human emotions. Mm -hmm. They have their own feelings and emotions and they are, as far as I can see, as deep and important as the ones that we have. And I think, you know, often their values are kind of maybe better than humans. And, you know, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. I think that horses are always talking if you listen to them and you understand and, and uh, take the time to kind of really tune into them. And I think it is something we've done enormously well at is changing the narrative because the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management very much wants to portray these animals as livestock 
and they are nothing more than livestock. They don't feel, think, or have emotions. And I think that what we've shown again and again with reuniting families is that they really do, you know, and it's, it's definitely that narrative has annoyed the Bureau of Land Management enormously because they don't want, they want to think of them as a tag number and nothing more as a, you know, than as an animal to be used for a job. And I think it is a narrative that has like had a ripple effect. And, and you know, when I see other sanctuaries and other rescues kind of doing that, or even people going to adopt a horse, but they've adopted a mare and their baby and keep them together. It, it you know, it's a beautiful thing. And I know mm-hmm. it's difficult possibly for everyone to have a family of horses, but I do think it's something that needs to be given respect. And at least, you know, all of the science that we're seeing today shows that this is a real thing. It's not imagined. And, you know, it's the same in elephants or gorillas or, you know, it's like, who are we to think that we're the only ones that have these bonds and families? And I think, you know, having reunited Blue Zeus and his family, he has 10 members of his family back with him. And it's just extraordinary to watch them, just extraordinary. You know, it's like doing a PhD every day when I go out there and watch them together and they interact. It's beautiful. That is so cool. I feel like something else that's important and unique to Sky Dog is sort of letting the horses tell you what they want. You leave the ones who want to be left alone and then work with the ones that seem to want human interaction. So what are, what are some of the context clues or or things that you see from the horses to really determine which ones stay wild and which ones that you work with more? I think, you know, for the most part, it's our intention usually to let them be as wild as they want, but we do take in an enormous amount of horses that have had a domestic life and that do enjoy human contact. And we tend to keep them closer to the heart of the sanctuary and the wild wilder ones kind of go out but then we've also had horses come in that were fully domesticated and lived in a fancy show barn but got injured and then they're out running again and it's almost like it just reactivates that part of them that is instinctively there and maybe has been there all the time and you know you'll go out and they won't come anywhere near you they're like nope I'm wild now but yeah I love that whole thing of like I think that's one of the most beautiful things that we give them, you know, is a choice because most horses live in a world where they don't have any choice or free thinking about where they go or what they do. You know, they're usually kind of confined and constrained in certain ways in, in whatever discipline. And, and I don't have anything against any other kind of, you know, I, I'm not against people riding horses or, you know, competing on horses. And I think there are horses that hugely enjoy that. And I think that they tell you that as well. And then I think there are, you know, wild horses that really want to stay wild. And it's just too strong and deep in their DNA to ever kind of submit to the will of a human to do what they want to do. Right. They they just want to live their lives. And I think that Sky Dog is a place where horses can be horses and and they they talk to us. And, you know, often it's like, I spend a huge amount of time with horses when they first come in and it really informs so much about like how close they want to come to you and, and, you know, how scared they are and how traumatized they are. And, and then what path that will take them down, whether to kind of stay close with, you know, a more gentle companion, because we try and buddy them up with a friend right away, you know, 
So, but, but you know, it, I think it's all just kind of having that open mind and open heart to try and let the horse tell us like where they're happiest in, you know, we just had this case of, of that mare honor who came in and she's been diagnosed. She has um, dropped fat blocks, the DSLD thing. And, you know, she won't have a long life. And at some point she'll be in too much pain, mm-hmm. but her spirit was definitely telling us with all she'd gone through, she's still young and she's still really, really able to get around and isn't exhibiting a huge amount of pain. So we turned her out yesterday and it just like, you could just see her completely transformed, you know, after being captive for two years in a a small space with a bunch of horses, she just went out and her whole spirit came alive. And it was just like, even if she gets to enjoy that for three or four months, you know, we can always turn around and bring her in if she's showing any signs of, of being uncomfortable and then we'll do all we can to help her. But there's something about like when you turn them out onto space with freedom and other horses, it just, I mean, sometimes that's the best healing that they can have, you know, even if it's for a shorter amount of time and definitely it never gets old watching that. I have to say, yeah, that's so special. What would you say is an area of this industry that you are especially passionate about that you feel like the rest of the horse community either just doesn't know a lot about, or doesn't talk that much about? I guess if I was going to pick just one passion and I feel like it's the holy grail for a kind of wild horses as well as domestic horses and so many other equids is um, to basically pass the SAFE Act, which is a piece of legislation that would help shut down um, horses and donkeys shipping across our borders to slaughter in Mexico and Canada. Because, you know, we stopped horse slaughter in America for a really good reason in that we see horses as companion animals as opposed to livestock. And I think we owe them an enormous debt and the way that they are being treated, I think, in this day and age, in the slaughter pipeline on their way to being killed is just an abomination. And I would love more people to call their representatives and senators and get behind the SAFE Act, which um, would effectively shut down the slaughter pipeline and, you know, make a lot more horse owners take responsibility for the horses in their care. And um, I think it would be an enormous step forward to righting some wrongs that are being done for um, horses in America. And uh, I'd love to see that. That's a huge passion of mine. Yeah, that's a great one. Well, Claire, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and talk about Skydog Sanctuary. For anyone listening who's interested in learning more about Skydog or how they can help, um, where would you direct them? They can certainly join us on Instagram or Facebook on Skydog Sanctuary or go to our website, which is skydogranch.org. And there's a ton of information on there about the SAFE Act, about wild horses and actions that you can take to help in different ways. So I love that. Well, Claire, thank you so much. And one day I would love to come out there and visit. But for now, I will continue to watch your journey on Instagram. And I wish you all the best. And right back at you, Bethany. Thank you so much for all you're doing. 
All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.